The following audio is from The Well. We are a church that is committed to gospel growth, family formation, and missional engagement in Hastings, Nebraska. More information about The Well can be found at www.thewellhastings.com. We hope the message you are about to hear will spur you on to growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be formed as a follower of Jesus, and to be engaged in the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost within a yard of hell. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one, Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial for God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one, Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descended, being down, let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you are coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you had to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So this is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Uh, join me in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that you would come and speak to us as I preach your word. Lord, help our hearts to be open to hear from you. Help us to be transformed in your presence as you speak to us. Lead us to the foot of a bloody cross, to the doorway of an empty tomb. Remind us once again of the hope that we have of eternity in heaven. I trust you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so, hey, listen. After studying the text in front of us today, I couldn't help but to be reminded of an old favorite movie of mine called Top Gun. And while it's definitely a favorite movie of mine, it's not necessarily the movie really that I'm reminded of. I'm reminded of one of the songs from the soundtrack of that movie called Danger Zone. Sure, you can hear the lyrics of that song when I mention it. Now, whenever I hear that song, I'm taken back to some of the visuals of that movie. You got jets screaming through the air. You got pilots doing everything they can to avoid enemy fire. You got teams of jet fighters working together to just flat out eviscerate the enemy. Then you get this kind of solid sense that what you're witnessing is something that is so dangerous that it kind of makes your heart pound a little, right? It kind of makes you wonder why anyone would even agree to go to those levels of danger, or why anyone would even attempt something so audacious just to accomplish a mission. So that song is what comes to mind when I read the text in front of us. It's as though in the text, it's as though God is on the offense. He's not playing defense. He's playing for keeps. He has no problems sending his soldiers into some of the most comfortably or uncomfortably dangerous places he could send them to. So God is literally sending his people, beginning with Peter, in some of the most uncomfortable and potentially dangerous places they could ever fathom going to. You see, no Jewish person would ever think about going to the geographical places or even the ethnic places that we see Peter going to in this passage of text. So I want you to think about God's call on your life to be about the mission of spreading the gospel. So there's places that you and I have been conditioned to avoid. Think about that. Sometimes we avoid a place or a people because it or they are, are, are much different than we are. Other times we avoid a place or a people because they're too dirty or too weird for us. You see, places and people that are too different or too dirty for us are places that we naturally kind of feel afraid of. They're, they're, they're dangerous places. Therefore, we typically avoid them. And by doing so, we shrink the mission field of God down to these little bite-sized chunks that we're actually okay with, that, that we're comfortable with. And see, the problem here is that when I read the book of Acts, and especially these verses today, I get the sense that God is up to something pretty big, probably something much bigger than we could possibly ever understand after a mere cursory reading of the text. 
Think about some of the context here. The previous three chapters, chapters 7 through part of 9, we can see an unexpected trajectory of God's plan to mobilize the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's, he's going to do it by any means necessary, right? And that becomes especially obvious when he radically saves and transforms and enlists a ruthless terrorist named Saul onto his team, who then becomes the worldwide evangelist we now know as the Apostle Paul. The reality here is that the God of the universe doesn't have any problems playing outside the sandbox of our human expectations, our human prejudices. He plays outside those sandboxes to make the gospel accessible to the lost and to make himself famous. See, God is serious about calling and equipping and sending his gospel witnesses to the ends of the earth with the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Time and time again, throughout the book of Acts, we're going to find ourselves immersed in a story that is full of intrigue. It's full of miracles, full of danger as the Holy Spirit works in and through the most unnerving of situations to simply help people hear the message of Christ crucified, risen, and returning. Over and over and over again. The spirit of the living God is going to send his soldiers into the danger zone where the lost can be saved. You check out the first stop for Peter as he heads into our proverbial danger zone with a mission to be a gospel witness to the ends of the earth. The first place we see Peter going is to a place called Lydda, verses 32 through 35 of chapter 9. And in Lydda, he meets an eight-year paralytic named Aeneas. And when he meets Aeneas, he heals him miraculously, similar to Jesus healing a paralytic at Bethesda in John chapter 5. And then because of this miracle, the text tells us that all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord, verse 35. The significance of this is that we need to notice that, that Peter is no longer ministering in the comfort of his own hometown in Jerusalem. He's literally out of his comfort zone. He's literally in the danger zone. He's ministering in a pagan environment that would have typically been avoided at all costs by any serious religious person. God. God is showing us in this text that his power operates even in the places we tend to avoid based upon our own prejudices. See, think about this. What places or people have you been avoiding because of your fear of the differences or because of your fear of the dirtiness you perceive to be present? Like, could it be possible Could it it be possible that even your own spiritual growth, not to mention the extension of the gospel, has possibly been limited because of your unwillingness to run straight into the danger zone of your own prejudices on behalf of the kingdom of God? Like, Like, if you're not convinced yet, notice where Peter goes next. Because in the next chunk of our text, 
verses 36 through 43 of chapter 9. Peter goes to Joppa at the invitation of some of the disciples who heard that he was near. And upon his arrival, he finds a dead woman, a dead woman named Tabitha, who's deeply loved by the believers there because of her charitable acts as she labored to help keep the widows fully clothed. We know that Peter heals her in a very similar fashion to the Lord Jesus, who healed Jairus' daughter back in Mark chapter 5. And even the original language of both Jesus' healing and Peter's healing sounds similar to the ear, right? Peter says, Tabitha kumi in the original language, which means Tabitha arise. And Jesus, in his text says Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. So so the language is very, very similar. We're only one letter off. The point here, the significance of this is that Jesus' ministry and Peter's ministry were undeniably similar. It's as though Jesus is is carbon copying or, or imaging his own ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit through the lives of his people in places that they would naturally avoid. Of course, we know the outcome of this. The outcome of this is that this miracle, this healing, became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner according to verses, verses 42 through 43. This is even more evidence of God moving Peter even further outside his comfort zone because a tanner's house was known to be a filthy, stinky place that would require tons of cleansing rituals for a, a Jewish person. The text literally is begging us to examine our own prejudices based upon our perceived differences or our perceived filthiness. And if that's not enough, the Spirit of God moves the story even further in the next section of the text. Because in the next section of the text, unbeknownst to Peter, God is orchestrating his next encounter in the background. You look at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 10. God reaches out to a Gentile centurion named Cornelius. This is a man who would be considered a complete outsider, if not an enemy, in terms of who is in and who is out in regards to the community of faith. See, Cornelius is basically part of what I would call the early Italian mob, right? But he's also a God-fearing man who was generous and prayerful according to verses 1 and 2. And God comes to Cornelius in a vision and instructs him to send some men to fetch Peter from Joppa and Cornelius, being a soldier as well as the commander of soldiers. Cornelius immediately obeys the Lord's instructions. He chooses some men and he sends them on their way. Once again, the significance of this cannot be missed. God is sending a despised Italian mob member, or or at least members of the Italian mob, to fetch this righteous and pious minister named Peter. 
And the immediate obedience of Cornelius is something that we all need to take note of. It literally begs us to consider our own levels of eager obedience as it pertains to making disciples in places that we consider to be too uncomfortable or too different or too filthy, places we consider to be dangerous. Like, How, how eager are you to obey the Lord, especially as it pertains to his mission to seek and to save the lost in places that you typically avoid? If that's not enough, the next section of text, uh, Peter has this vision of these common and unclean things. Uh, if Peter and, and, and if we if we're still holding on to any forms of prejudice, any fear, any, any barriers in terms of where or how we will engage the mission of the gospel, God makes it absolutely clear that our boundaries are not always his boundaries. He does this as he gives Peter a vision of quote-unquote common or unclean things in our final portion of the text, verses 9 through 23 of chapter 10. So God uses Peter's physical hunger to show him a vision of things that had historically been regarded as things to avoid eating because they were common or unclean. You see, for centuries, the Jewish people had been accustomed to avoiding things that God had said were filthy, such as certain foods, certain behaviors, and even certain people. But now, God is showing Peter that he is in the business of saving people, even amongst the filthiest of places and filthiest of things. And in light of that, God's showing Peter that we should not place a barrier in between ourselves and those filthy places that are full of filthy people. God literally confirms, literally confirms all of this when he says, hey, what God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 15. Now Peter, Peter seems to get the point after the vision plays on repeat three times, maybe reminding him a little bit of his own three-peat prior betrayal of Jesus. This solidifies for Peter the seriousness of the need for obedience as he places his trust in his captain, Jesus, to lead him into the danger zone, so to speak, of, of mission, despite his own differences, despite his own prejudices. You see, Peter's faithful obedience is really highlighted in this text when Cornelius' guys show up and we're told that Peter invited them to be his guests. And then the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, according to verse 23. So once again, we're confronted with what it looks like to be obedient to God in our participation of his mission to seek and to save the lost in the danger zone of our own differences, and prejudices. So, so, so that's the text, right? That, that's, that's the story. That, that's, that's what we're studying. And as I think about it, as, as, I, as I conclude, I have to ask myself why this even matters. Like what difference should this make to my life, right? Like a passage like this should definitely make us evaluate the places and the people we typically avoid 
because of our perceived differences or our perception of the filthiness of a place or its people. And in reference to what Peter experienced in his vision as he ministered outside the comfort zone in the proverbial danger zone, there's another preacher who had these things to say about our avoidance of certain places and certain people. He said this. He said, we do the same thing. We also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about, but their bad names that we've given them, are in our sheet of excommunication. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in the political state, the same way. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. They are four-footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, they are. there are very few men alive, especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn. Unless it is one here and one there of our own family or school or party. And they also come under our scorn and our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own, the moment they have an interest of their own, the moment they have affections and ambitions of their own. Now what this old preacher is saying is that our prejudices, our self, self-imposed limits on the gospel, our our refusal to engage those whom we deem to be too different, too filthy, for our time, it knows no bounds. Our propensity to be like this. And the remedy for us is to repent and to run to Jesus once again. To remember that Jesus left his perfect place in heaven to come to this filthy, sin-soaked place called earth where sinners have created the most dangerous zone of all. See, Jesus came willingly to this place for you and I. And he sealed his mission trip into this danger zone with his own shed blood, his own broken body at the cross of Calvary, the filthy place of the skull, filthy place of death, a place that far outweighs the filthy places or different places we avoid even now. That same old preacher that I quoted a few moments ago, he also said this. He said, it would change your whole heart, your whole life, This very night, if you would take Peter and Cornelius home with you and lay them both to heart, if you would take a four-cornered napkin when you go home and a Sabbath night pen and ink and write the names of the nations and the churches and the denominations and the congregations and the ministers and the public men and the private citizens and the neighbors and the fellow worshipers, all the people you dislike and despise, do not and cannot and will not love, Heap all their names into your unclean napkin and then look up and say, Not so, Lord. I neither can speak well nor think well nor hope well of these people. I cannot do it. I will not try. If you acted out and spoke out all the evil things that are in your heart in some such way as that, you would thus get such a sight of yourselves that you would never forget it. What this old minister is talking about is true confession and repentance. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you through this sermon. Maybe you can see the faces of the people beginning here at home and 
your own church and you've neither welcomed nor invited into your life. Give them a passing glance on Sunday mornings, but you've not invested yourself into their lives. You've not invited them into your home. You've not spent time with them in their home. And you haven't even simply gotten their contact info or shot them a welcome message or offered to pray for them. Start there, right here at home. Maybe there are people or places you've judged as being outside your calling because they make you too uncomfortable, because they make you feel too filthy. You've made a bunch of excuses for a really long time, and now it's just normal for you to pretend to love the outsider while not really loving them in any tangible way at all. And I think that if the Lord is convicting any of us of, of any sin regarding our involvement with the mission of the gospel, well, we probably ought to think first about the work of Jesus as he left perfection to enter into the danger zone of our sin-filled world with our pictures in his pocket as he journeyed towards the cross with joy in his heart. We should probably begin there. And then we should probably commit ourselves this week to reaching out to someone right here in our own Jerusalem, in, right inside our church family. And look around the room. Look around the room for, for people that you haven't reached out to because they're different than you. Probably should also think about somebody in maybe your proverbial Samaria, somebody that you avoid outside the church family. And ask God to forgive you for your sin. Ask God to strengthen you with the presence of his spirit and then get going in obedient trust that he will answer, that he will do miraculous things in and through you. Not, not only as you kneel at the foot of the bloody cross, as you look through the doorway of the empty tomb and hold fast to the hope of heaven, as you do that, maybe trust that, that God would not only do work in you, but he would do work through you. And then also courageously and obediently get going. Get on mission in the danger zone. Get to, get to getting after those whom you have typically avoided. Build relationships and friendships with them for the sake of the gospel. And maybe if you would jump into this truth that outside the doors of this church building is where mission begins, and then maybe you get after it with all the energy the Spirit gives you. I think if you jumped into that, I think I could promise you that you will experience things that you never thought you would experience because you would experience the power of God to seek and save the lost through you in the most dangerous of zones that you typically avoid. Father, thank you for your word. Pray God that you would help us to respond appropriately, to repent of places where we have avoided others that are different than us. Pray, God, too, that you would help us to trust you, to ask you for strength. Pray, God, that you would give us your spirit so that we might be empowered to be your witnesses, even in the most dangerous and filthiest and different of places. Trust you to do this work. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen.